Chelsea. Hi, Taryn. How are you doing? Oh, so good. I just got back from a week vacation. So it was actually like a relaxing enough vacation that I was ready to come home. Like I, you're always sad when you come home because then, you know, like real life, but mm-hmm. I, came home and I was like, Hey, I'm ready to like get back into a routine. That's so nice. There's nothing worse than taking a vacation and then you come back and go back to work and feel like you needed a vacation after your vacation. <laughs> yes, that is the worst. That's when it's nice. So the school district that I am in, we have a two week fall break. So, so nice. I've had this whole last week off. Even when this comes out on Tuesday, like the la- like last week, I had the whole week off. I have next week off and um, then I go back. The next week, I do have to go into work, but I don't have kids, which man, makes a big difference. It doesn't even feel like work <laughs> when there are no children there. So it's fine. We also are doing a team building activity next week. And we're Is doing it Dungeons an escape and Dragons? Room. Oh. <laughs> no. We're doing an escape room and I'm so excited. <laughs> That's going to be so fun. Yeah. Okay, Chelsea, it's week one of Spooktober. Spooky. <laughs> so we've, we've made the comment many times that we, we're not scared. Like, we're not fans of scary. We're posers. <laughs> I... I really like Halloween. Like, I like the dressing up. I like the... I like the aesthetic. I hate scary. Like, if anybody... If we're sitting there and you act like, oh, let's watch a scary movie. I'm going to question, first, your sanity. Second, our friendship. (laughs) Like, if you could either watch a happy movie that just, like, makes you laugh... And you choose to watch one where people are being tortured and, like, limbs are being ripped off. I just, I just know, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> did you, did you see, I think I sent it yes, to you. I watched the video that you sent me. <laughs> this video of this guy, he's super funny. Um, but basically, he's like, it's Halloween, like, we should watch a scary movie. And he's like, no, like, we don't need to watch scary movies. Like you don't f- need to feel pressured into like liking this stuff. Hasn't the last year been scary enough? <laughs> and the other guys like, you're right. Should we just watch Marley and Me? And he's like, oh f no! Like <laughs> turn on the Conjuring. <laughs> anyway, I thought I, it was funny. Yeah, it was very funny. I did. I did see that. Uh, so. Um, by the time this comes out, I will, I think I'm going to have posted what we're doing for the whole month of October, but today we are starting off with what makes sense. The first person we're going to talk about for this Tuesday Tales is Edgar Allan Poe. Classic. I did a lot. Okay. A lot is a, sounds excessive. I did research. (laughs) I'm so excited. I remember talking about Edgar Allan Poe in high school when we did poetry, but I, and like he, he has such a, like sometimes weird, like almost mysterious life that it's, it's fitting that what he wrote is what he wrote. So here is your quick summary 
of who Edgar Allan Poe is. Most of this information I got from a website called poets.org, which I felt like was a pretty reliable source. <laughs> yeah, seems but legit. If anything is wrong, just, I don't know, just tell us, but like, it wasn't on purpose. So Edgar Allan Poe was born in 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he, his dark story starts out so fast, and within his first three years, his dad leaves, and his mom dies from tuberculosis. And so, he's three, he's an orphan, and he was fostered by the Allen family, that's where the Allen in his name comes from, um, and so he moved from Boston to Virginia, and that's where he was for a while. They put him in, like, the best boarding schools, um, and he was a really good student, but Money was always kind of a problem, and he actually eventually got kicked out of school because his foster parents refused to pay for his gambling debts because he got super into gambling, and he was trying to do it to make money to pay for school, but that ended up being the reason why he left school. Um, soon after that, he ended up serving in the army. He enlisted and served in the army. Didn't know if you, know th- if you knew that. Um, and while he was serving, like, that time period is when he wrote his first couple of collections of poetry. They didn't do super well, but, like, that's kind of when he started this process of, of, like, publishing his stuff. Um, after his service in the army, he moved in with his aunt and cousin in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. He became the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, and he's going to, like, that's going to be his job for the rest of his life. Not necessarily just at this, um, newspaper or whatever. But he is going to be an editor, and that's what he's going to be working on. In 1836, he married his first cousin, Virginia. I'm sorry, Who he had been living with. Yeah, let me say it again. In 1836, he's 27. He marries his first cousin, Virginia, who was... Guess how old she was? No, no, was she... She was 13. No! No! Uh, so so she was 13 they got married um and but on her on their wedding certificate or their wedding license it says that she was 21 so they lied about her age um so there's been lots of lots of historians have whoops lots of historians have gone back and tried to figure out what the nature of their relationship was. They have some friends who say like for the first couple years of their life, they basically just lived together. Like there were, they didn't consummate their marriage for a few years until she was older. Um, some people say that they were more like brother and sister, but regardless of this age gap, which like it is the 1800s, it, the age still was weird. The first cousins like was weird, but like it wasn't that weird the age was the part that's like, okay, that's, that's kind of a big age gap. And she was very young, but regardless of this, they took very good care of each other from everything that I could find. Like he truly loved her regardless of like what way that love was. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved her. He took, he did his best to take care of her. She just adored him and idolized him. And they did like, she would like help write his notes and, and everything that he's doing. She was a part of it. And they did take very good care of each other while they were, while they were together. Um, over the next 10 years, he would edit for a number of literary journals. Um, this is when he writes some of his most favorite works. It's not favorite, sorry, most famous works. So like a couple of the short stories that we're going to read today, some of his poetry. Um, unfortunately, again, 
more bad things. In 1847, Virginia ended up dying of tuberculosis. Um, She had had it for about five years and fought with it. Um, And his lifelong struggle with, like, depression and there's still, like, so many things about his life is almost a mystery. Because there's some people who say that he was uh, he was an alcoholic and all these different things. But then other people say that it was a rumor that was spread by, like, competing poets that Wait, were trying what year to make him. Die? 1847. She oh. was 24. They were Aww. together for about 11 years. Aww. Yeah. Um. So, but after that, like, it was so hard on him. This actually was said to inspire um, the Mask of the Red Death short story, which we're going to read today. That's why I was wondering wondering how related that was. Yes, so from what I read, like, he had a very hard time accepting that she had tuberculosis. Like, he did not want her to be sick And so he kind of just pushed it off and denied it for a while. And so people say that that fed into the story of, like, keeping the sickness out. Which, like, we'll read it today. I haven't actually read it. I purposely didn't read it because I knew you were going to read it to me today. So I don't know exactly. But as we read it today, you'll know that this this event kind of, it it has, it it, it did inspire portions of this story. So after she died, he's brokenhearted like it it seriously just like shattered his world um a few years later uh he a couple years later he's accepted a job in philadelphia and he's traveling there and for some like for some reason we don't really know he stopped in baltimore and was found he was missing for a few days he was found semi-conscious um on like the road and he was brought to a hospital and died four days later um there are so many theories of what happened that killed him. The autopsy report, like they didn't do, they didn't do a full autopsy. They just like looked at him. I'm pretty sure. And it wasn't super conclusive. So there's been so many theories. Some people say he was like super drunk and that's why he died. Other people say it could have been carbon monoxide poisoning. Some people say he was suffering from rabies. Like there's no conclusive answer to how he died. I know. Right. So we don't know how he died. He was just found and he died four days later, which is for the man who wrote so much mystery and like, and like all of these like dark things. It's how fitting that like his death is a mystery. Like we really don't even know what happened to him. Yeah. He just, he's such a master of the macabre in life that it seems so ironic yeah like he couldn't have died in a normal way yeah like of course he he died in mysterious circumstances found in the middle of the like that just of course how else would he have died (laughs) yeah for sure um so after so he did before before right before he died he did become engaged to his childhood sweetheart but they were only engaged for a couple months a couple months before he died and his works um he is one of the originators of horror and detective fiction. A couple of oh. his short stories are like the first detective stories that we get. I, I didn't do a lot of research, so I'm sure there were other ones. But at least in the United States, in the short story form, which he kind of pushed this change. Like pushed, uh, he's, he's known as the architect of the modern short story. And he 
like his the way that he told his stories and the length of his stories was a very big deal at the time. Also, a weird fun fact is the Baltimore Ravens got their mascot from his poem, The Raven. No! Yeah. Which, for that poem, he was paid $9 for it. Are you serious? Yeah. Because he was born in... uh, Or he lived in Baltimore for a time. Oh my gosh. That's like the coolest background to the mascot ever. Apparently, I was reading that there's a lot of mascots that have roots in some form of literary something. Some form of literature. Yeah, I'll have to, like, find a list or something, but that's it. So, I didn't want to do, like, I don't have a whole... I know there's so much more to his life. I know there's so much more, but I just wanted to do a quick background on our first Booktober author for the month. And it's just interesting. That... I'm I'm actually a little blown away by some of that. <laughs> right? Um, all right. Let's kick it off, shall we? So we figured since it is Spooktober and this is a Tuesday Tales episode, um, we each picked one of his short stories. I chose The Telltale Heart because that was the first short story of his that I ever read. And it's one of his most well-knowns, and it's very short. So I thought it'd be fun to read Chelsea Chose. I chose The Mask of the Red Death. It's the one that I read in high school. It was the first one I ever read, and I still think about how insanely weird this short story is in the most sporadic random times of my life. So (laughs) I have thought about this poem, too. Like, or not poem, short story. It's So, I don't do spooky, and so, like, I somehow came upon an Edgar Allan Poe book at one point, and I think I was camping, which, terrible combination. What are you doing? I was, like, 12. Like, I don't remember, but I remember. As I was reviewing some of the titles of his stories, a couple of them came up. I was like, I vividly remember reading this (laughs) in the woods somewhere. And it's interesting because his level of like spooky and macabre and horror is not the same level as like what like a normal horror movie would be today. Right. But he had, he's so good at the very few that I've read, he's so good at creating tension and discomfort without. In, in most of his stories, being super gruesome. Like, it's not explaining, like, people's guts falling out and limbs being yeah. chopped. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, if he's gonna, if the character's gonna dismember somebody, he just says, like, he dismembered them. Like, it doesn't go into this gory detail that I think a lot of, a lot of, like, movies and stories do today. But it still makes you so uncomfortable. Yeah, no, that's, that's the thing that I remember the most. Because I haven't read, I haven't listened or, like, I don't know anything about the Telltale Heart. So I'm actually really excited to hear that as well. Um, but I just remember being like, this is creepy. But not creepy in, like, a am gonna have horrible nightmares way. But just in a, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. But it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, they, it's just, it doesn't sit well. It's so interesting. He's very good, and I and I know there's a lot more people who can go into like psychological dives into some of his stories and some of his characters. But we're just doing it for the slight spook factor for, for the today. fun because we can't handle Stephen King. So 
No. <laughs> you're going to see our list of like what we're reading this month and you're going to be like, these aren't even like spooky. They are. They're like, terrifying. No, they are. They're good. They're, <laughs> they're perfect. They're, they're top level for Okay. <laughs> do you want me to read my, my story first? Yeah. I'm just so excited to hear the Telltale Heart, which okay. I believe is his most um, popular short story. I From that one article that we looked at. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, this one was published in 1843. It is, I think, his shortest short story. I could be wrong. If not the shortest, one of the shortest. Um, I did print it out, so as I turn the page, if you hear some ruffling, that is why. Okay. Um, oh, one one other comment. It's so it's interesting to me too that in most of his stories, or many of them, the narrator is unnamed. Oh. Like you, you never really know much about them, and it's he just throws you into the middle of the story. So this one, like you don't have a lot of background about how this guy got to this point. Mm-hmm. It's but here we are, <laughs> here we are diving right in. Let's okay. go. It's true. Yes, I have been ill, very ill. But why do you say that I have lost control of my mind? Why do you say that I am mad? Can you not see that I have full control of my mind? Is it not clear that I am not mad? Indeed, the illness only made my mind, my feelings, my senses stronger, more powerful. My sense of hearing especially became more powerful. I could hear sounds I had never heard before. I heard sounds from heaven and I heard sounds from hell. Listen, listen, and I will tell you how it happened. You will see, you will hear how healthy my mind is, which is never a good start. If no. you have to explain your sanity, sorry, dude. <laughs> Probably needs some help, but yep. it's, it's fine. It's fine. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it is impossible to say how the idea first entered my head. There was no reason for what I did. I did not hate the old man. I even loved him. He had never hurt me. I didn't want his money. I think it was his eye. His eye was like the eye of a vulture. The eye of one of those terrible birds that watch and wait while an animal dies and then fall upon the dead body and pull it to pieces to eat it. When the old man looked at me with this vulture eye, a cold feeling went up and down my back. Even my blood became cold. And so I finally decided I had to kill the old man and close that eye forever. So you think that I am mad. A madman cannot plan. But you should have seen me. During all of that week, I was as friendly to the old man as I could be and warm and loving. Every night about 12 o'clock, I slowly opened his door. And when the door was opened wide enough that I put my hand in and then my head. In my hand, I held a light covered over with a cloth so that no light showed. And I stood there quietly. Then, carefully, I lifted that cloth just a little so that a single, thin, small light fell across that eye. For seven nights I did this, seven long nights, every night at midnight. Always the eye was closed, so it was impossible for me to do the work. For it was not the old man I felt I had to kill, it was the eye, his evil eye. And every morning I went to his room, and with a warm, friendly voice, I asked him how he had slept. He could not guess that every night, just at twelve, I looked in at him as he slept." Yeah, he's not helping his sanity case in my mind. <laughs> right? Like, look, I'm so sane. I stared at a, a person's sleep. That yeah. having, a, having a plan does not mean you're not insane. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is a slightly abridged version. I couldn't find 
the full version because I listened to one and he was talking about how like he would spend an hour putting his head through the door so that the man wouldn't wake up. So it like wow. it's intense. Okay. Psycho. Um <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the eighth night I was more than usually careful as I opened the door. The hands of a clock moved more quickly than my than did my hand. Never before had I felt so strongly my own power. I was now sure of success. The old man was lying there, not dreaming that I was at his door. Suddenly, he moved in his bed. You may think I became afraid, but no. The darkness in his room was thick and black. I knew he could not see the opening of the door. I continued to push the door slowly, softly. I put in my head. I put in my hand with the covered light. Suddenly, the old man sat straight up in bed and cried, Who's there? I stood st- quite still. For a whole hour, I did not move, nor did I hear him again lie down in his bed. He just sat there, listening. Then I heard a sound, a low cry of fear which escaped from the old man. Now I knew that he was sitting up in his bed, filled with fear. I knew that he knew that I was there. He did not see me there. He could not hear me there. He felt me there. Now he knew that death was standing there. Oh. Slowly, little, <laughs> slowly, little by little, I lifted the cloth until a small, small light escaped from under it to fall upon that vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and my anger increased as it looked straight at me. I could not see the old man's face, only that eye, that hard blue eye, and the blood in my body became like ice. Have I not told you that my hearing had become unusually strong? Now I could hear a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. It was the beating of the old man's heart. I tried to stand quietly, but the sound grew louder. The old man's fear must have been great indeed. And as the sound grew louder, my anger became greater and more powerful. But it was more than anger. In the quiet night, in the dark silence of the bedroom, my anger became fear for the heart was beating so loudly that I was sure someone must hear. If you're worried about people's hearing people's heartbeats, (laughs) calm down, my friend. The time had come. I rushed into the room crying, die, die. The The old man gave a loud cry of fear as I fell upon him and held the bed covers tightly over his head. Still, his heart was beating, but I smiled as I felt the success was near. For many minutes, the heart continued to beat, but at last, the beating stopped. The old man was dead. I took away the bed covers and held my heart, my ear over his heart. There was no sound. Yes, he was dead, dead as stone. His eye would trouble me no more. So, I am mad, you say. You should have seen how careful I was to put the body where no one could find it. First, I cut off the head, then the arms and the legs. I was careful not to let a single drop of blood fall on the floor. I pulled up three of the boards that formed the floor and put the pieces of the body there. Then I put the boards down again, carefully, so carefully that no human eye could see that they had been removed. Yeah, but As I finished not this work, smell it? Right? Like, there are flaws Bobby's, in his Bobby's not mad man. He, he seems <laughs> yeah. a little mad to me. <laughs> just, just, just a tad bit. <laughs> As I finished this work, I heard that someone was at the door. It was now four o'clock in the morning, but still dark. I had no fear, however, as I went down to open the door. Three men were at the door. Three officers of the law. Sorry. Police. Dang it. <laughs> one of 
One of the neighbors had heard the old man's cry and had called the police. These three had come to ask questions and to search the house. It's interesting that he was so worried about the heartbeat because he's sane, right? He can hear the heartbeat, but he's not worried about the guy literally screaming as he murders him. Yeah, no. You know, food for thought. Why? Why would you be worried about that? (laughs) I don't know. Not important. I asked the policeman to come in. The cry, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I said, was away. He had gone to visit a friend in the country. I took them through the whole house, telling them to search it all, to search well. I led them finally into the old man's bedroom. As if playing a game with them, I asked them to sit down and talk for a while. My easy, quiet manner made the policemen believe my story. So they sat talking with me in a friendly way. But although I answered them in the same way, I soon wished that they would go. My head hurt and there was a strange sound in my ears. I talked more and faster. The sound became clearer. And still, they sat and talked. Suddenly, I knew that the sound was not in my ears. It was not just inside my head. At that moment, I must have become quite white. I talked still faster and louder, and the sound, too, became louder. It was a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall, a sound I knew well. Louder it became, and the louder. Why did the men not go? Louder. Louder. I stood up and walked quickly around the room. I pushed my chair across the floor to make more noise, to cover up that terrible sound. I talked even louder, and still the the men sat and talked and smiled. Was it possible that they could not hear? No, they heard. I was certain of it. They knew. Now it was they who were playing the game with me. I was suffering more than I could bear from their smiles and from that sound. Louder, louder, louder. Suddenly, I could bear it no longer. I pointed at the boards and cried, Yes! Yes! I killed him! Pull up the boards and you shall see. I killed him, but why does his heart not stop beating? Why does it not stop? The end. What the heck? What the... So, in his paranoia, he was hearing his own heartbeat. And assumed it was the old man. couldn't distinguish because of his not-insanity... Not insane. Also, yep. poor old man. I know, right? Also, were they related? Why were they living in the same house? Um, From everything that I've read, he must have been, like, a caretaker of sorts. But, like, there's no, no, that's what I was saying. Like, you don't get there's any no background. You don't know this guy's name. This... You don't know the old man's name. You're just thrown into this story and, like, hey, I'm not crazy, but I just killed this dude. Poor old man is just, like, a cute guy living his life, but apparently only has one eye, question mark? I think it was just one that was maybe weird. Poor dude, man. Living with some psycho. Also, why are we making 10th graders read this? I mean, there's nothing <laughs> morbid about it, so I don't know why I know, there's there. nothing to worry about. <laughs> yep, so that was the first Edgar Allan Poe story that I had ever read. And like wow. I said, I think it's slightly abridged. Slightly. Because I know, I think in the full version, he calls them villain. He says, villain, at the very end. Wow. There you go. That's the telltale heart. The telltale heart. What are your thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah, it's creepy. It's unsettling. Um, n- not a fan. <laughs> not, not, my, not my favorite. But uh, w- we will allow it for the Spooktober <laughs> feelings, I suppose. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's going to be. I feel like, I really feel like this week is our scariest week. No, it's definitely the last week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's scary for other reasons. <laughs> um, all I'm going to say 
is I'm really glad at the end of tonight, I have a really cute husband that I can cuddle up against and, like, make him lock all of the doors and stuff so that I can sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm kind of worried about the Mask of the Red Death. <laughs> it's it's unsettling in a totally different way. Oh, cool. Yeah. Then carry on. All right. Okay. The Mask of the Red Death is a little bit longer, so I'm just going to summarize the first little bit of it. So basically, there is a disease in the land that's called the Red Death, shockingly. And <laughs> Tuberculosis. Yeah, he goes into some very nice details about the horrors and symptoms of that, which we'll just skip over because it's gross. <laughs> anyway, um, Prince Prospero, which is a very creative name, was concerned that he would get sick, so he summons all of his favorite people, so all of the ladies and the knights and the dames and the lords, and he says, come to my castle, and we will barricade ourselves inside, and that way uh, we won't get sick, and the poor people can just, like, deal with it. Who so cares about the poor people? Yeah, I mean, honestly. They're not so, important. <laughs> so they all come to the castle, and he basically is just, they have all of these provisions, and they decide to just party like there's nothing in the world to care about. Yeah, so he just is, like, throwing this mad party, not worrying about the rest of the people. And five or six months in, he decides to throw a masquerade. Like, a giant party. And there are seven rooms dedicated to this party, and each room is this a is different- This is basically, like, what everybody did during COVID, right? Like, the, pe- the world's dying. Let's have a party. Yeah, but the, <laughs> we're talking about, like, his favorite, you know, thousand people. In a castle oh, yeah. okay, cool. with like courtiers and musicians, and he's like straight up throwing a party. Yeah, so there's seven rooms. Yeah, there's seven rooms, and each room has a different color scheme. So there's like the blue room and the purple room, and each room has a corresponding stained glass window that matches the color of the room. And inside wow. the rooms, there's no light, but there's uh, light outside the stained glass. So when you're in the room, the light is coming in through the stained glass and like colors it the corresponding color. But the seventh room, so you've got the blue room and the purple room and the green room and the orange room, but the seventh room is totally black. And it's the only room where the stained glass does not match the color scheme. And that one has a bright red, blood red stained glass and this deep scarlet is very alarming to everybody so at the party they all are partying and nobody wants to be in that room because it is ghastly and grotesque so they all avoid it i don't blame them yeah don't blame them if i walked into a room and everything looked like it was covered in blood hard pass hard pass completely black room all of the light is coming to the yellow room like yeah and so there's this ebony clock and on the hour it has this really like dissonant chord so it like strikes the hours and it is super loud and it freaks everybody out so when it's chiming all of the music stops all of the dancing stops everybody just like stops then the chimes end 
And everyone, like, looks around and, like, giggles awkwardly because they're like, ha why did we feel so weird about that? And then they, like, carry on only to be freaked out again. So that's kind of the scene of what is happening. That's only the setup? Yeah, this is the setup. I'm already spooked. Yeah. Why are we doing this? So, the tastes of the Duke were peculiar. He had a fine eye for colors and effects. He disregarded the decora of mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery, and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster. There are some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure that he was not. He had directed, in great part, the movable embellishments of the seven chambers upon occasion of this great fete, and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders. To be sure, they were grotesque. There were much glare and glitter and phantasm, much of what has been seen since the Hernami. There were figures with unsuited limbs and appointments. There were delirious fancies, such as the madman fashions. There were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not a little of that which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers, there stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams, and these, the dreams, writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms, and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And anon there strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet, and then for a moment all is still, and all is silent save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff, frozen as they stand. But the echoes of the chime die away, they have endured but an instant, and a light, half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart. And now again the music swells and the dreams live, and rise to and fro more merrily than ever, taking cue from the many-tinted windows through which stream the rays of the tripod lights. But to the chamber, which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the maskers who venture, for the night is waning away, and there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes and the blackness of the sable drapery appalls them. And to him whose foot falls upon the sable carpet, there comes from the near clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any of which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments. But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life. And the revel went whirlingly on, until at length there commenced the sound of midnight upon the clock, and the music ceased, and the evolution of the waltzers were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock, and thus it happened, perhaps, that more of thought crept with more of time into the meditation of the thoughts among those who reveled. And thus, too, it happened, perhaps, that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there are many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of a masked figure which had arrested the attention of no single individual before, and the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur expressive of disappropriation and surprise, then finally of terror, of horror, and of disgust. In an assembly of phantasms, such as I have painted, 
it may well be supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had outherited Herod and gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indef indefinite decorum. There are chords in the hearts of the most reckless which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with the utterly lost, to whom life and death are equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company indeed seem now deeply to feel that the costume and bearing of the stranger neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to assemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have had difficulty in, det in detecting the cheat. And yet, all this might have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revelers around. But the mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his broad brow, with all the features of the face, was besprinkled with the scarlet horror. When the eyes of the Prince Prospero fell upon the spectral image, which, with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers, he was seen to be convulsed, and in the first moment with a strong shudder, either of terror or distaste. But in the next, his brow reddened with rage. Who dares, he demanded hoarsely of the courtiers who stood near him, who dares insults us with this blasphemous mockery? Seize him and unmask him, that we may know whom we have to hang at sunrise from the battlement. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood the Prince Prospero, as he uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly, for the prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had become hushed at the waving of his hand. It was in the blue room where stood the prince, with a group of pale courtiers by his side. At first as he spoke, there was a slight rushing movement of his group in the direction of the intruder, who, at the moment, was also near at hand, and, with deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to the speaker. But from a certain nameless awe with which the mad assumptions of the murmur had inspired the whole party, there were found none who put forth hand to seize him, so that, the, so that, unimpeded, he passed within a yard of the prince's person. And while the vast assembly, as if with one impulse, shrank from the centers of the room to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly, but with the same solemn and measured step which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue room to the purple, through the purple to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violet, ere a decided movement has been made to rest him. It was then, however, that the Prince Prospero, maddening with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that had seized upon them all. He bore aloft a drawn dagger, and had approached in rapid impetuous, impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure, when the latter, having attained the extremity of the velvet apartment, turned suddenly and confronted his pur pursuer. There was a sharp cry, and the dagger dra dropped, gleaming upon the sable carpet, upon which, instantly afterward, fell prostrate in death the Prince Prospero. Then, summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment, 
and, seizing the murmur, whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave ceremonies and corpse-like mask which they handled with so violent a rudeness, untenant by any tangible form. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of the revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay. And the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. The end. Wow. Yep. Wow, I, like, don't even know how to respond to that. Yep, that's about how I felt. Like, the the setting and imagery, there's so much to unpack in that short story. But also, how do you not... I don't know. There's just so much about that that is troubling to me. Like, you thought you could just, like, throw a party while everyone out there is dying and, like, there'll be no... And there's no repercussions. Right. Moral of the story, don't be an idiot. Help people. Be nice. Use your resources for good. Yeah, just don't... Don't try to immediately stab people, also. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> like, he just, like, got really mad and was like, I'm gonna kill him. How like, dare you ruin my party by mentioning the plague that I've been actively ignoring? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? And oh your mask gosh. isn't even that good. Except they knew exactly what it was. They did. They did. Yeah, that's super fun. Everybody dies. I feel like that one has a lot more, like, stuff to unpack than mine did. I think that's why we read it in English class, because we had to, like, talk about all this. It's It's so interesting. Like, I was talking to Andrew about this, because I really, like, I really genuinely do not understand why people enjoy horror. Like... It just, it makes me want to throw up. Like, there's difference between, like, a jump scare and, like, spooky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Be Like, there's a difference between that and horror and just, like, paranormal crap. Like, I just, I can't, I can't do it. But some people, it, some people, they love it. Like, I was just, oh, we'll, we'll do a quick shout out. Um, I, there was another podcast that commented on one of our posts. It's called the dark side of the library. And like, they're amazing ladies. And if you like anything, if you like spooky books, go listen to their podcast. And it's super fun to listen. And I like them summarizing books for me. I don't want to read them, (laughs) (laughs) but some people just are drawn to it. And it's just, and it, I don't know, it just intrigues them and it makes them feel alive. It just makes me want to throw up. I can't do it. So Edgar just, that was his, that was his thing. And I think a lot of people, when they look at his life, can see how he would take some of the bad things that happened to him and like turn them into these stories. Yeah, definitely. I think, I know he, he's in that weird category where like, I understand the appeal of wanting to like watch or read something scary for that adrenaline rush. Because there's definitely an adrenaline rush for a lot of it. But he he doesn't... It's not like an adrenaline rush scary. Like, all of his stuff is like a seep into your bones, make you... 
uncomfortable kind of scary which like you said when you know the context of his life makes sense why he has these weird creepy thoughts also would not surprise me if we found out that he was secretly a serial killer just throwing that out there (laughs) like if you told me homeboy had some skeletons under his floorboard literal literal skeletons in his closet would not be surprised that's all i'm saying (laughs) well regardless of if he did he's had a significant impact on the literary world and i just i feel like he needs a hug something (laughs) that's all give that boy an ice cream please Give him an ice cream cone. I, I all I'm uh, saying okay. is it's very hard to murder someone if you're holding an ice cream cone. Just saying. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, should we wrap this up by reading one of his most famous poems? If not like his most famous poem. I would say his most famous poem. I would say his most famous. If you ask anybody like what they know about Edgar Allan Poe, this probably is the it's one the that Raven. comes up. There's even a Simpsons episode where they go through this entire poem. I did not know that. You should watch it. Bart is this little like raven and he's the one saying nevermore. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore while I nodded nearly napping suddenly there became there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books sur- surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more." Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer, Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. For the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, 
not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord and lady perched upon my ch- above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven now, I said, art sure no craven. Ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quote the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door, with such a name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is, is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed, fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, and whose vel- velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by f- seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, o oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still if bird or devil, whether temp- tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all deva. Desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there a balm of Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden if, within the distant Aden, it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, burden or fiend, I shrieked upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonium shore. 
Leave no black plume as a token of that lie that of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quite the quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take the, thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadows on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. The end. Ta-da, the end. I feel like that one is just more sad and melancholy than it is creepy. Yeah, because he's he's lost somebody, Lenore. And this 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 was, um, this was published a year before Virginia died. Oh, so the Raven is supposed to, um, it's supposed to symbolize mournful and never-ending remembrance. We are haunted by our doubts, sorrows, and fears. The poem detects a young student trying to study on a dreary night. He can't concentrate. All I can think about is Os of Lenore. Interesting. I just think that it's so sad. Like, everything everything in that poem is just heavy and melancholy and, like, bitter. Almost. Again, Edgar needs a hug. That guy, man. Hopefully, him and Virginia are in heaven hugging each other, and they're like, it's okay, guys. It all works out. <laughs> they're listening to oh, us man. right now. <laughs> yes, they care. Oh, man. Well, I feel like this was a good start to October. Welcome, everybody, to a fantastic Spooktober. Yay! This is as scary oh. as it gets. Oh, wait, sorry. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody. To Spooktober! Spooky! <laughs> that last one was you too what? happy. Next I year, had to turn it down. Next year, we should read The Phantom of the Opera. I was singing the song earlier. I don't know how Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote that. And Cats. I try not to think about it. Because Cats is a thing of my nightmares. <laughs> Speaking of nightmares, if you but really like, want to do something spooky this season, watch, watch Cats. cats. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like Phantom of the Opera is creepy, but the music is just like so enveloping and inspiring and beautiful. And I have so many thoughts on the Phantom of the Opera that we will not go into because I love that play with all of my heart. <sighs> well, Chelsea, happy October. Happy October to you too. Everyone enjoy I'm really the excited. cooling weather and read a delightful book. It doesn't have to be scary if that's not your thing. Yeah, you don't have to do spooky. <laughs> um, this week you should eat something pumpkin. It's now fall. I'm pretending like it's fall. If you like pumpkin, you have to eat something pumpkin. Yeah, it, it's full on fall up here so embrace the pumpkins embrace the sweaters break out those ugg boots from 2009 <laughs> <laughs> okay guys have a fantastic week don't forget to rate subscribe review tell all of your friends about us um we've gotten a few new followers this week and we're really excited um giving us five stars that were even just a review on apple podcast which is i think the only podcast 
platform that you like reviews actually matter that much. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, which most of our listeners are, if you could just give us five stars or leave a quick review, we can't tell you how happy it makes us. We screenshot it and send it back to back to each it other. Makes, it makes us we, incredibly happy. It makes our entire week. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you guys are the best ever. Um, thanks for you know taking time out of your day to care about our thoughts on these random books and things so thank you and even if you don't care thanks for listening to yes yeah, thanks to us for anyway. <laughs> like supporting us anyways love you guys yeah it's great anyway thank you guys yeah. you're all okay. the best we'll catch you next week okay bye bye, bye.